Welcome to the American Reformer Podcast, promoting a vigorous Christian approach to the cultural challenges of our day and rooted in the rich tradition of Protestant social and political thought. Hosted by Josh Abitoy and Ben Dunson. Hello and welcome to the American Reformer Podcast. I am your host, Ben Dunson, the editor-in-chief of American Reformer, and your fellow host uh, this morning is Josh Abatoy, who is the executive director of American Reformer. Uh, This morning, we are going to talk about the idea of Christians and uh, whether they should stay where they are or whether they should move. And we're thinking in particular here of uh, the challenges that we're facing in, in our nation uh, where some places, in particular some states and some cities, are becoming very dark places uh, to, to live, very dangerous places, very spiritually dark places. And the question that comes up is, should Christians stay put in those places, or should they flee and, and go elsewhere to where they can uh, protect their families and maybe even do more than that, maybe uh, build up churches, build up organizations and institutions where they could hopefully make things better. This has been something that's uh, been discussed uh, lately online a lot. Um, and so there are, there are a lot of Christians, I think that would be pretty conservative Christians that are still making a claim that Christians sort of have this responsibility to stay put, that that it would be wrong for them to leave and to go elsewhere and to try to, to build institutions. Uh, Josh, you, you've been tracking this issue and this debate. Um, how, how would you frame it? Yeah, I think it, I think it comes down fundamentally to varying understandings of, or, or preferred modes of cultural engagement and what the Christian's mission is. Um, you know, the, the natural, I would say, instinctive response of a, of a Christian who lives in a, let's just say, in an area where they're going to be subjected to pride parades, right? Or perhaps there's laws on the books that say the state can take your kids away and trans them without your consent. Or, you know, it's a state that um, makes it difficult for your church or your school to your Christian school to operate. All of these things are happening now. I mean, um, you know, we had we had Chase Davis on the show um, a couple episodes back, right? And he's he's facing negative press in the local news, uh, and ultimately got kicked out of his church building. Uh, the landlord terminated their lease um, because of that negative press. Um, these things are increasingly common in the states, and I think that a lot of Christians are starting to wrestle with this question: what are what are we called to do? The instinctive and natural response is, I need to get my family out of these conditions and locate in a place where we can build for the long term without uh, fear of not only persecution, but also just the, the um, you know, get away from perhaps some of the most insidious aspects of modern American degeneracy. Um, this is, I've got a little autobiographical point on this. Um you know, I went to I went to law school in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, back in the mid teens. Uh, so I graduated in 2015, and um, very very progressive areas, sort of like Berkeley, California. You know, one of the most progressive parts of the country. And 
I didn't even know drag queen story hour was a thing back then, but um, took my son to the library one day and saw posters for it, that it was going to be happening at the public library there in Cambridge. Uh, That was my first exposure to that, uh, that practice. And um, I remember that was all I needed to see. I was like, I am so grateful. I'm getting out of the Northeast. Um, I'm going back down to, uh, you know, I'm going to go work in a big city somewhere in the South in Texas where, you know, maybe it's not perfect, but at least I know there's not, there's a lower risk that my kids are going to be exposed to just what I view as sort of demonic degeneracy that could be traumatic and confusing for a child to even see once. I felt like it was my duty as a Christian parent to secure, to secure that safety for my children. I don't expect them to be hermetically sealed off from sin. You know, people are fallen uh, and that's true everywhere. But I do think that there is a, you know, it struck me then that there's a level of degeneracy that it's, it's actually just irresponsible as a Christian parent to even let your kids be exposed to once. Okay. Well, so I'm a husband, I'm a father. um, I've got young children. What you're saying sounds reasonable, sounds natural. I mean, it's the the natural instinct of, of parents to, to take care of their children. You know, this, uh, this is kind of related to what you often hear about why we should send kids to the public school, you know, basically send them as little missionaries, uh, which, which really is insane. Um, you know, I, I might be able to handle that on my own as an adult who's been, who's been a Christian for some time and, and who's grown in, in my knowledge and, and so on. But to expect children to be able to do that, um, just seems perverse, but, all, all of what you're saying just seems natural for parents, uh, natural um, for, for for people. I mean, that that's our instinctive response to to danger, even. Uh, but there are there are some, as I, I opened up with, who are saying that this isn't right. Uh, wh- why, you know, why is that? Why, why is this so bad? Yeah. Um, so, so, and just to pack the context a little bit more, more broadly, we're talking about the big sort going on in American society right now, right? There's political geographic sorting. We see this both ways. Liberals are leaving Texas and conservatives are leaving California. And it's become sort of a meme on the right, Um, you know, get out of cities, get out of cities, right? When there's new examples of the lawlessness or degeneracy that's overtaking our, our major cities. Um, and into this, uh, at least the recent discourse has been um, guys who are theologically conservative, um, you know, faithful brothers in a lot of ways. But folks like uh, I think the prominent one is someone like Owen Strayan, um, you know, who's written a long book against wokeness and, you know, a former professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, and uh you know, I think they're contending essentially that, you know, Christians and basic, basically true point, right? Christians are called to be salt and light. Um, and, uh, you know, this call for Christians at scale to retreat from blue states to move to more favorable cultural environments um, is, uh, you know, that that is a uh, that's actually calling Christians off of their mission. Right. And that they're, they're called to be persecuted, called to be salt and light in very difficult environments. 
Um, and so mm-hmm. by, by walking away, they're, they're um, kind of falling down on the primary calling of the Christian. Um, and so, some of this is, um, is, is based on the way they're approaching texts like the book of Acts as well, um, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, the, the, I think one of the foundational, you know, we've, um, at least in the Baptist church, um, the predominant mode of cultural engagement is what you might call conversionism, right? So it's, um, it's a viewpoint that places, sort of says, you know, it, it's highly amenable with premillennial eschatology, although I don't think it's a necessary consequence of premillennial theology, but but it's this idea that, hey, you know, the judgment is coming very soon and time is short and, you know, we need to get out there with the gospel, maximize opportunities to share the gospel with people who haven't heard it. And that's really that's a calling on every Christian. And um, and so, you know, doing things like, um, you know, building thick Christian institutions, trying to plant long-term roots in communities and, and, you know, um, oh, you know, plant schools and, you know, and um, try to, you know, do things like what the pilgrims did when they came to America, that, that instinct, that instinct is misplaced according to this view, because it's kind of putting hope in human institutions and culture building um, when, and when that's actually just a distraction from the core mission, which is, preach the gospel as much as possible to as many lost people as possible. And then, um, you know, leave the, leave the rest up to God and you've fulfilled your duty. And uh, that's what the urgency of the moment requires. Yeah. I mean, this, this is uh, an issue that is really widespread in evangelicalism in general, I think where there's, um, there's a real difficulty in understanding the goodness of creation and and creational realities um think things that god has built into the the fabric of the universe and and so if it's not related directly somehow to evangelism then then it's not worthwhile and so like you said building institutions uh, building schools building um uh, maybe even i mean let's get even less spiritual right building businesses Mm-hmm. Or 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 trying to build communities where we've got law and order, and our streets are clean and safe, and and all these things. You know, we, those aren't spiritual. That's not preaching the gospel. That's not either you directly preaching the gospel or you somehow supporting the preaching of the gospel. And uh, it, I think it's the same difficulty that a lot of evangelicals have with understanding why something like uh, art or music or literature or architecture, you know, that those things, those, those are good things. They're just inherently good. And, um, they might not directly be a part of our evangelistic efforts in the world. And yet they're actually good themselves because they display the glory of God. They display the the beauty of God. They, they bring honor to him. Uh, They're just inherently good. And so seeking to build these things is, good, even if it doesn't directly lead to evangelism. Uh, that seems to be a, a, a struggle that's kind of related to this, this issue. I, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we, you know, right. We're tired of saying this trope, right. But grace restores nature. It, um, 
you know, there's, there's like creation was naturally good the way that God created it. Um, the fall marred, marred those goods and in Christ, um, you know, and through a life of, of virtue, we can enjoy tremendous natural goods um, that, that are restored by grace, um, like the family and like community. Not perfect on this side of eternity, but but better, good things that God's given us. Um, and our, our experiencing those and being grateful to God uh, is, is, a, is an act that glorifies him. And um, but then I, I think even more than that, and, and this is what I would say to some of my um, you know, I'm not premillennial, but I'm, I'm friends with a lot of premillennials. And I, I think some of them get this. But, you know, the, the like Christian culture building has second and third order effects that are useful for the gospel. So if you have a just magistrate um, who is uh, enforcing just laws, that has a pedagogical effect on the people that that will necessarily teach people about justice and maybe about their need for repentance. It can be a a preparatory means that gets them ready to understand their need for a savior or, you know, I mean, even just with literature, I mean, how many people, uh, I I think it's a non-zero number. How many people have been prepared for conversion because of, you know, a great work of, of literature like Dostoevsky or, you know, uh, really beautiful music like Bach, you know, who, who put, you know, to God be the glory at the bottom of every single transcript of music. Um, mm. the, the, those are, those are perhaps you'd say incidental or second order effects of that cultural production, but, um, they are, they are effects. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's, there's, uh, I think in an, in ordinary Christian times and in an ordinary Christian society, there's actually conversions happening all the time because of these uh, social institutions or cultural production that's done by Christians. Yeah, I, I think that's probably even harder to see than what I mentioned. Um, you know, Christians struggle sometimes to just see the, the inherent goodness of of creational realities. What you're saying, I think, is probably even more difficult for um, a lot of evangelicals today to see. I think this is one of the the real benefits of something of a, a revival of classic Protestant political philosophy, because that's something that that was recognized by older Protestants. And, and by older, I'm not even talking that old. I mean, probably right. still some into the 20th century, certainly, um, go back into the 19th century. And this is something that you'll see among American Protestants too. This is, this is not having to go so far back as even uh, Europe and established Protestantism in Europe. This is, this is not something that is, it just sounds wrong to so many evangelicals to say something like that, that something earthly could could point to something heavenly. I mean, but you brought a, a great example. How can you listen to some of a, a box most, you know, um, just heavenly music? How can you listen to that and not be lifted up to, to, to think about those things? You know, where does that intense beauty come from? And, mm-hmm. and, and many people, many people in history have been impacted in that way because they recognize this this beauty is 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 uh, is either just not true, it's just false. There is no beauty. There's just nothing, or 
this has to come from somewhere outside of this world. And, uh, you know, they obviously that's not the gospel itself, but it, it can be used for good. But that's that's a hard sell uh, today with, with evangelicals. Yeah, I, I, I suppose it is. Um, but, well, maybe the sell's getting easier. I mean, actually, in this whole debate, um, you know, I, I think what's happening is uh, I'll speak from my, my denomination. Baptists are increasingly, I think, aware of the need for, for Christian cultural production, um, hmm. building thick social institutions. And that's really been the cause. I think that's been the driver on Twitter and in, in some writing about this topic is there, there's a younger generation of Baptists coming up who are saying, um, actually it's good. Like get, you know, if you're in a state that presents a long-term risk to your ability to be faithful, move, put down roots somewhere, build a community, found a Christian school, um, you know, found, you know, have relationships with small businesses, put your roots down um, and build build a thick set of social institutions. And um, I I think that uh, actually that viewpoint is actually winning the day right now because we're increasingly seeing that um, if you don't do that, if you've just, you know, if you're just kind of a relatively lonely island, you've got a church but nothing else, and you're in extremely hostile cultural territory, um, you're going to have a hard time hanging on to your kids. You're going to have a hard time and you may you might even just be less effective at evangelism because you're not actually presenting um, like a full orbed Christian way of life, uh, but rather, um, you know, presenting a message that uh, has no apparent effect on a person's Monday through Friday. Yeah, you know, it, if you if you put it in other terms, I think a lot of people could see it. Uh, and what I think is like with regard to our children. If I, and this is increasingly the case, if, if I have to spend 95% of my time trying to protect them from this unrelenting assault where everything that is good and true and beautiful is being, uh, they're being told is, is evil and, 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 um, and dirty and all this, and, and they're just having this unrelenting assault on them. And I have to spend all of my time basically trying to protect them from that. Or let's say we lived in a, in a society where what is good and true and beautiful is praised and promoted in businesses and schools and churches and communities and all these things. Which, which one is better? You know, it is is it better to to be in that world where if you don't spend most of your time protecting your children from that evil, they're going to be sucked into that void? Or is it better to be in that world where everything is going along with that and reinforcing what you're teaching them in the home and what they're hearing from the pulpit? Who would actually say that it's better to be in that that other world? Yeah. I mean, do you think anyone would actually say that? Some, I mean, I've, I've heard some who would say basically the, you know, being in an area with cultural Christianity allows muscles to atrophy. It lets people have false assurance. It, um, you, you know, I think, I think some would say 
you know, this earth, regardless of where you are in a Christian community or, you know, in San Francisco, um, everywhere on earth is a battle is a spiritual battlefield. And so you might as well be in the toughest battle you can be in. Um, and I think that's, I'm trying to steel man the argument, right. To give it mm-hmm. the very best version. Um, I've, yeah, I've got, I've got friends who sort of hold that viewpoint. Um, there are also friends who are likely to send their kids to public school and, and what have you. Um, you know, and I, I think I, the number of, number of responses to that, I, I think, one is um, we have to differentiate between kind of garden variety depravity and then like um, some of the depravity we have in the United States in the 21st century. Right. So like I would even view this a little bit differently. Like it's different if you're like um, maybe a, a missionary in a Muslim country and, you know, your kids hang out with kids that are predominantly Muslim and you understand that, you know, they're, they're going to face some adversity because of that. Right. And, uh, but they're also not like per se because of that fact being exposed to depravities that could, you know, in and of themselves be extremely traumatic. And, you know, um, like, like that's, that maybe that's one, one distinction is um, we're just in a worse parts of the worst of American society is just something that you shouldn't allow your kids to be exposed to once the, the other um I, th- I think the other point is that that viewpoint, I think, really underestimates just ordinary means that God uses in all of us to disciple us, right? Like like um, building habits, and habits are reinforced by community standards, by things like shame uh, for, for wrongdoing and praise for the good. Like habits are, you know, there, there are lots of natural social dynamics that inside of a church in a thick Christian community are themselves like aids in the sanctification process, right? Like if you're in a thick community where there's going to be moral disapproval for adultery, um, that's a grace. Like that's actually, that's something that will aid you in your fight for purity. Um, you know, and, and so, um, yeah, I think, I think there's a part of that is just a, you know, general, evangelical lack of understanding like virtue ethics and the idea that, you know, um, our habituation of virtue is part of the sanctification process. And it's part of the process of, of, you know, it's, it's the spirit using kind of ordinary means to, uh, to conform us to Christ's image. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, I thought of this quote, um, there's, um, there's a, um, mid 19th century Swiss author that, um, that I really like, uh, he wrote this book, uh, his name was Frederick de Rochemont and he wrote a book called individualist in church and state. And, uh, I think this was, this was in the 1840s, if memory serves me right. So somewhere around that time. And, uh, and he, he, he says this, he says, for the issue boils down to whether it is more advantageous for a man's salvation, for him to be raised from birth in the bosom of a Christian family, a Christian state, and a Christian church, or to be left to himself with little or no family influence in a state that is earthly minded and carnal and without church guidance. Thus stated, I think the question answers itself. Hmm. Um, which is just a very effective way to put it in my mind. Um, and, and this, this, uh, this kind of goes back to 
why I mentioned the book of Acts, because there, there is in some of these uh, people that are, that are making this argument, this, I would say, confusion between the, the vocation of someone like Paul and the vocation of Christians who aren't called by God to be ministers or especially to be um, that kind of missionary pastor. You know, Paul himself says in, in 1 Corinthians 7 that he wishes everyone was single. You know, uh, I mean, he puts it pretty strongly, but he, mm-hmm. he's, referring to, he's referring to what that enables someone like himself to do in a ministry context. And so that would be what you see all throughout the book of Acts. What, what is Paul and, and Peter and the other apostles, what are they doing? What are they able to do? And Paul specifically says that by not being married, he he is not um, tied down to a family and he doesn't have to consider how is this going to affect my wife? How is this going to affect my children? And so he he's freed in a way to engage in ministry and, and the very kind of thing he does where, you know, he's got all his lists where he was shipwrecked and he was naked and hungry and stoned and and um, and everyone hated him and all these things and you're going on and on and on. Um, if he had a wife and children with him, he would have to, to be faithful, he'd have to consider them and he'd have to look out for their safety and their well-being. And so he says, you know, this enables me to do these things that otherwise I couldn't do. And so you go to the, the book of Acts and this is what um, some of these are, are appealing to and, and you see him free to, to do that. And yet what these other, what these, these um, you know, these Christians we're talking about are, are arguing is essentially, no, we all have to be Paul. Uh, we we all I, I know they're not putting it quite in those terms, but I, that seems to be the implication to me is we all have to be Paul and we mm-hmm. all have to 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 do exactly what you see Paul doing uh, or Peter doing throughout the book of Acts. I mean, do you think that's fair or I mean, is that is that? Yeah, I, I think often and if you've read uh, David Platt's book, Radical, I, I think a lot of this is coming from that mindset. But there's a undefended assumption that. um the pattern of the behavior of the, the apostles and acts is normative for all Christians. It's kind of the ideal Christian life. And, you know, if you're not doing that, um, I mean, I guess you can be somebody who makes money, but you're, you know, Platt actually breaks, he says, everybody's either a goer or a sender, you know, and if you're a sender, it's like, okay, what, what's the purpose of your vocation to make money, to send missionaries. Um, and, uh, and really the, you know, uh, and that's gotta be your laser focus and, and, um, missing in all of that, I think is just this understanding of most Christians and across time. And, um, they're, they're not, you know, they're just because they're not like overseas missions doesn't mean they don't have a vocation and they are doing very important work, which is making disciples in place, right? Like, I mean, one, make disciples of your kids, uh, you know, make disciples of, uh, make disciples in your community. Uh, that is like, that's the ordinary pattern of the Christian life. And it's sort of the, uh, it's the exception. Not everybody has this call. A few have this call to be, to do the truly sort of difficult, you know, overseas work, the, you know, the dangerous stuff, the exotic stuff, um, and that, I guess that, that causes me to want to ask you, you're the, you're the New Testament scholar here, but like, to what extent, 
I mean, to what extent should we read Acts and think to ourselves, the way that the apostles acted is somehow normative for, you know, every Christian? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's probably traumatized some, but I, I practically see the way they act as as being normative for, for no one other than those engaged in that very calling. Of course, we're, we're not denying that some are called to do that even today, you know, some are, are called to go out um, to to the to the most dark places. Um, that would be going to San Francisco, you know, going to all, to um, you know wherever and and taking the gospel there. Absolutely, that's God has called some to do that. But for most people, He hasn't called them to that. Most Christians, He hasn't called them to that. And um, and, and so that that missionary work in Acts, I would I would argue. Uh, is not the calling of most Christians, and even even Platt's whole thing is is wrong. I mean, certainly we should we should be supportive as a church of missionary work. You know, wherever that is, um, you know, the, the church has to fund that and it has to be prayerfully supportive of that. So, not denying that, but I can't help hearing in that distinction. Ironically, something kind of like what Luther took a sledgehammer to, um, this, this kind of medieval uh, priestly hierarchy, where unless you were unless you were a priest, you weren't able to to basically faith, faithfully be serving God, and, and he took a sledgehammer to that. I'm, I'm thinking of his his uh, the freedom of a Christian. So you know, 1521 in one of his early writings, where Famously, we have the the idea of the priesthood of the believer, and so you know some can think, okay, that means we're all supposed to be out there being missionaries and, and whatever. But that's not at all what Luther meant. Um, the priesthood of the believer meant we don't have to we we don't approach God through mediation of earthly mediators. Uh, we we approach God through the mediation of Christ, and therefore we can pray for each other, we can encourage each other. Um, we we don't have that that priestly system. And what a lot of people hear today is, oh, we're all ministers. We're all called to, to be um, either a goer or a sender or else you're, you're basically worthless. Um, and Luther explicitly rejects that in, in the freedom of the Christian. I think people miss that part. Um, he says, God has only called some, some men to be ministers of the word and sacrament and to, to be missionaries and things. Um, and he hasn't called everyone. And I think just, I mean, he, he emphasizes the goodness of creational life, creational realities, being faithful as a businessman, being faithful as a, as a, a mayor, being faithful as someone who's trying to build up your community or your state. All of those things are inherently worthwhile. So I, 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 I'd want to take the kind of Luther sledgehammer to that. Right. And, um, <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, just reject that really. And, and you might even say like, if, if we're grant, I, I think what we're saying here is that for many Christians, they're going to have a call that is primarily, um, you might say primarily focused on natural goods, right? Like, like, um, being a mayor or, you know, going into business or whatever. Um, but, you know, the, the, the again, because we said at the front end, um, even Christians that are doing their, quote, secular vocations in a in a Christian way, 
because that activity inherently has second and third order effects on even the preparation for conversion. And so I, I guess I wonder, might, might we even say that, that the model, the plat model might actually be like less effective. It's counterproductive because it's actually calling people away from understanding their, their day jobs as vocations. And it's actually removing this very powerful engine that, you know, kind of in God's economy properly is doing this cultural production that sort of serves as a, as a, as a base and a uh, source of strength to the more exceptional exotic missions work. Yeah. Yeah. Even as you said that, I was thinking you could do a simple test. Uh, If we went back in American history, um, say a hundred years ago, 150 years ago, percentage wise, were there more or fewer Christians, genuine converted Christians? Um, my guess is that there were more significantly more and that the, the, the general work of, of, uh, of, you know, uh, establishing and promoting all these good creation realities was contributing to that. It was a general atmosphere and environment that was conducive toward and, and supportive of, of, of the gospel, even though it's not the gospel itself. And I'm, I'm even wondering if people had who had had stayed put back when they could have actually prevented things from getting worse and made sure that things didn't get worse. Wouldn't we be better off even from the standpoint of evangelism today? Yeah, seems like we would. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Um, so, so what do you think? I mean, do you like. I'm, I want to sort of flip the issue a little bit um, in the sense of like, if you've got kids, you've got a primary calling to disciple those kids. Are, are there cases, do we underappreciate how your calling as a parent and to disciple your children could actually be in tension with um, some missions work? I mean, in other words, do you, could you ever find yourself saying, um, Hey, you know what? Maybe, um, maybe raising your kids in in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, maybe you just shouldn't do that. Full stop. Maybe there's actually a Christian duty if you've got kids to get out. Um, you, you know, could, could you or or I mean, even even just in something that happens much more common, which is you know families you know going overseas or whatever to very difficult locations with with a wife and kids. I mean, do you think? You know, do you think the church needs to be more appreciative of the, um, you know, the actual? Uh, I, I mean, there could there could be sort of a negligence of of duties towards one's family in some of those cases. Yeah. What are what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, what if you even um, ask that in a different way? Um, it would it ever be legitimate? for you to sacrifice the eternal well-being of your children for the sake of missionary work. You know, I mean, yeah, no, absolutely not. And if that's what's going to happen, then that seems to be a pretty easy question to answer. Um, Your children's eternal well-being cannot be sacrificed in order to, further the cause of Christ in other places. 
just as just as a pastor, even in the, the reddest of red states and red towns or, or whatever, he could not carry out his pastoral ministry faithfully if he neglected his family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually something that I think some pastors struggle with because they become so busy uh, devoting themselves to the needs of the church that that they can struggle with you know taking care of their families and and their spiritual needs. So just all the more so out there. Um, so yeah, I think the answer is absolutely. Uh, now that's going to require prudence and wisdom. That doesn't, you know, we're, of course, we're not saying that Christians who are married and have children should never go to difficult places, but you've got to be able to distinguish between a place that might be so detrimental to your family that, that you need to leave. But on a mundane level, missionaries do this all the time. Missionaries will, uh, you know, if their children become sick and they need better medical care, they'll 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 come off the mission field, mm-hmm. you know, just for that reason. Um, or they might, you know, come off the mission field because their children are are ready to go to college or something like that. Like so, we don't really bat an eye at that because they're they're thinking of their their even just their earthly good, um, but how much more so your spiritual good? Yeah. Yeah, and and um, shifting gears a little bit. I mean, I think that I think it's it's worthwhile for us to to beat up this conversation a little bit because we're in this broader context of rapid cultural change, um, where a lot of a lot of Christian strategies are getting reevaluated. Right? You could call this, you know, the maybe it's part of the fallout of what Aaron Wren calls the negative world. Right? But um, you know, there's the Benedict option. There's all these various strategies out there vying for attention from Christians. And and I think as mainstream society has gotten more openly hostile to Christianity, fundamentally, there's been a growing recognition that, um, you know, something like sending your kids to public schools is like extremely risky and dangerous. And, you know, even in the last three years, we've seen uh, Christian schooling and homeschooling uh, explode in popularity, and we're just realizing, oh, if we want to, if we want to survive and and pass the faith along to our children, um, we are going to need to get very intentional about building thick community, and and I think it's worth it's worth beating this up because I think that's good and right, and that movement is happening all over the place. And I think those who try to slow it are just, I think they're mistaken. I think, I think that if people follow their advice, there's going to be, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of lost impact that could otherwise be had. Um, you know, there's, there's just tremendous energy. Christians want to, they want to relocate. They want to generate various types of localism. Um, you know, they're, they're uh, obviously we've got, Examples, right? Like Moscow, Idaho is just exploding and has been for years. Uh, people, when people see communities like that, they instinctively want them. They wish they had them. And I think that's, uh, I think that's an important part of the sort of the cultural game plan for Christians over the next 10, 20 years is actually acquiring own space, having, having space where, um, where we're not, you know, sort of at risk from, you know, being uh, shut down and closed and, you know, and so, and that a lot of times that's going to have to happen in red States. Um, You know, California is just an increasingly 
risky place to, to operate. Um, I mean, even just, you know, I can't, as a parent with young kids, I can't even imagine even living there, you know, with the current, some of the current laws. I mean, the, the state could, you know, take your kid and trans them without your consent right now in California. And there's a couple other yeah. states that have the same regime. And, you know, there's godly pastors that are literally thinking about leaving and encouraging their churches to do the same. Like, you know, like the pilgrims leaving Amsterdam, like, hey, I'm getting out of the state and you should follow me. That's that's yeah. what's going on. And I think a lot of that is is actually needed and good and healthy. Um, so so that's the I think that's why this is an important conversation to have and important thing to figure out. Yeah, and I, w- I would never say, you know, in, in, in I mean, I guess I can't say never, but I, I wouldn't say that uh, that people who you know choose to stay in California or some are in sin. Um, you know, I'd never, I'd never say that there wouldn't be people who could make that decision, and and, and there might be ways that they can still do that. I, I think it, at some point it could get to the point where it's just like it's really just no possible way you could be sane and stay. But um, you know, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell people they have to leave. But thinking about leaving seems to be the issue here. Is that some are saying even just wanting to leave is bad, and and and, and leaving is bad, but. The irony for some of these people is that some uh, some of them are saying this when they, in fact, live in places that are benefiting from good order and um, mm-hmm. that, are, that are benefiting from these things. And their their seminaries and their colleges, you know, can can benefit from safety and law and order and being surrounded by people who are not constantly antagonistic to them. And I wonder if they don't actually realize how much they've benefited from that precious inheritance that they're they're sort of railing against. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, um, Owen Strand's been very vocal about this issue. And (laughs) on Twitter, somebody said, you live in Conway, Arkansas, Owen, um, which uh, just cracked me up a little bit. Um, you know, and I, yeah. <laughs> I think Owen's, I think Owen's, I suspect he's had his stint in some tough places, but, um, when you've lived there for years with kids, uh, you develop a very, a finely honed edge, um, regarding what's going on there and just the need for, for vigilance. Um, and you know, the, look, the sad reality is, um, I, I would say the data, the data is coming in on a lot of Christians who, you know, want to stick it out in the big city to change it, you know, and, and I, I think we have to say the track record is not particularly good. More often than not, um, people who, who really want to stick it out long-term, um, they end up resembling, uh, the places they go to, they change, they become more like the big city rather than the other way around on a lot of occasions. And, you know, it's even just, you know, you, you think through it, right? Like you, you want to go to, San Francisco and you want to plant a church and, you know, then you get people in your church. Maybe you get some Christians who are in tech firms and, you know, whatever else. And, um, and then you start realizing there's significant pressure from your congregation to not be in the headlines. We don't want to be the church that speaks clearly on biblical issues because if we are, then, um, you know, that could blow up in my face. I might get canceled. So you start getting subject to all these social pressures, which, on most people over time will have a significant effect 
Or, you know, on the other hand, if you're like our friend Chase, you're impervious to, to social pressure, but you will face like, you know, bona fide persecution, um, you know, if you, if, you, if you maintain the clarity of your voice. Now, Chase is a fighter and, you know, I'd say he's one of those guys that might have that exceptional calling to do ministry in a very tough place. Um, but, but I would have to say more often than not, um, Christians who, uh, who want to stick it out in these very difficult environments end up, uh, being compromised. Yeah. And we're not even really, this, this whole debate is not even really about whether some should stay. It, it seems to be that it's, it's kind of disparaging this idea that some would want to leave at yes. all. Um, for, for these good reasons, you know, I, I imagine Owen Strawn is is the beneficiary of living in Conway, Arkansas, m- maybe more than he even realizes. He probably there's probably a lot about that that he loves, and wouldn't want to lose. Sort of probably in, <laughs> instinctively sees the the goodness of all that. Was it was it Nietzsche that said if you stare into the void uh, long enough, it'll stare back mm-hmm. into you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure I'm I'm sure I'm horribly uh, abusing um, uh, his intent, but nonetheless, <laughs> it seems kind of uh, kind of fitting um, when we think about the, this this evil that that overwhelms certain places. It, it, we we haven't transformed New York City. Uh, New York City has transformed us, you know, who 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 were there more often than not. Yep. Yep. Well, Ben, I think we beat this up pretty well. Any closing thoughts? No, no, I think this is uh, it's good. It's an important distinction. I mean, I guess I, maybe my last thought would just simply be that a lot of Christians actually struggle with guilt about this, I think. And um, and for that reason alone, I think it's important to recognize that it's it's okay to want to live in a place that's safe and that is supportive of your church and, and all these things. Even as we say, yes, God is calling men to go into the darkest places. And it can't deny that at all. Um, the gospel is going to go everywhere. Um, but it's, you shouldn't feel guilty about wanting to take care of your family and protect your family and build good things in the world. I guess that would be my last, my last word on that. That's uh, that's wonderful. That's a great note to end on. Uh, thank you to our listeners for joining us as always. Um, you can uh, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, wherever else you get your fine podcasts. Um, and uh, please like us, leave a review, subscribe. All of that helps us extend our reach. And also, if you like our work, uh, check us out at AmericanReformer.org. And, and please do uh, prayerfully consider... Uh, supporting our work financially. We're a 501c3. All your gifts are, are tax deductible, but we we depend upon the grateful support of uh, people like you uh, to uh, pay the bills and keep the lights on. And um, so we, we, we would uh, ask you to prayerfully consider joining our work today. Um, thanks as always. Thank you, Ben. And we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the American Reformer podcast. Make sure to visit us online at AmericanReformer.org. That's AmericanReformer.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter 
at AM Reformer.